0: All right. well if you would stand one more time as we read our passage today from Ecclesiastes. Move some uh, furniture around here. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Here we go. Here the preacher says this, A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were all the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good, and in, with an inheritance and advantage to those who see, un, who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is the wisdom that preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what has been made crooked? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Two ways to live, uh, the preacher tells us, we've been in Ecclesiastes and uh, um, as you know, this has not been an easy book, right? Uh, we finished First John uh, in the fall, and uh, we took Ecclesiastes, and we, Ryan and I took a deep dive uh, into challenging, challenging text, uh, some more than others. Perhaps this chapter, one of the more difficult chapters, uh, chapter 6 uh, ended with this question. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? It's this question of, what is the good life? That's how it ends. And chapter 7 seeks to answer what the good life is. But as we've said, Ecclesiastes is in the proverb literature, right? And here it's uh, specifically proverbial. It's got this language of the wise and the fool. Six times in the verse we hear the word the wise or wisdom. Four times we hear the language of the fools. It's contrasting, like the Proverbs, There's two ways to live. Proverbs give us two tracks to go on, the way of the wise or the way of the fool. Listen to verse 11 and 12 again. Wisdom is good with an inheritance an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom here is pictured as a virtue that we should be aspiring to. And if we have it, it's the thing that preserves our life. Over and over he says, it is better than. This is better than that. This is good. This is the way to live. Now, a bit about uh, the approach, Um, because if you'll read it carefully, and Proverbs are meant to be chewed upon. They're not meant to quick read and then we move on. It's meant to wrestle with it. Um, It's proverbial, but it's also very dark. (laughs) It's bleak. It's sorrow, uh, mourning. Um, This is not for the faint of heart. It's difficult. It's challenging, um, but it's purposeful. Zach Eswine uh, says it in his commentary. He he talks about it being a a form of coach's talk. So I'm going to do my best Michael Knapp impression, our basketball coach here. Um, This is what he says. It's a little long, but listen to this. He says, and he relates this to chapter 7. Eswine says, at halftime of the big game, the athlete who has played poorly and unwisely will not hear his coach say, say things like, No need to concentrate. Let's get a six pack and some women and forget about it. Who cares? Let's take a look through this book of jokes. Let's tell some jokes, have a party, and laugh till it hurts all night long. On the contrary, with the game on the line and everything they've worked for, trained for, slipping through their fingers, not because they've played their best and can't win, but because they are playing foolishly and losing, the coach will frown and cry, focus. Is this you laughing over there, Jones? It's hard for me not to laugh to say that. This isn't any time to smile. You wanna laugh like it's a party time? Well, you can walk out the door right now. I need a team that has guts, is willing to get down to business. Willis, is that you cracking jokes down there? You have a Willis, Michael? Willis, you cracking jokes? This is serious. Get your head in the game, son. The team out there is destroying you. You wanna tell jokes, you can walk out the door. I need a team that knows that we are better than this. Do you feel that burning in your chest? You can feel the ache of defeat and intimidation and regret keeping into you, staring you down. Don't ignore the ache. Don't make friends with it. Don't ask it out for a drink. Look it squarely in the face. It has come down. It has come to own you. Don't let it. Learn from it. Cry about it. Yell it out. Whatever you need to do to take a look at it in the moment and realize this is it. This isn't recess. This isn't practice. There's no other game. It's time to get serious. 20 more minutes to lay out your heart and your soul on the line and give it everything you've got. Eswine says, uh, that's something about chapter 7. He's uh, it, not, uh, you know, this is pretty clean Coaches talk compared to what I experienced in my coach's day. Uh, but it, it, this, the, the preacher in chapter 7, he's not red-faced. Uh, He's not yelling, but it's the halftime speech that says, uh, you're moving down the path of foolishness. Are you going to laugh? Are you going to joke? Are you going to take it serious? This is life and death to up the ante here. It's like the waiter that, uh, that brings the hot plate in front of you and says, watch out, this plate is hot. They're not saying that this plate is not good, it's not full of nourishment, but they're saying it's full of heat. That's something of the preacher here in chapter 7. Will we take it to heart? Will we hear the coach's words and we apply them? As we start, one final thing. We remember, and we, we dive deep into the bleak and the dark. We remember that Ecclesiastes, he has advocated joy. Ryan spoke over the last couple weeks, that we find joy in the ordinary things of life, in the eating, in the drinking, in the ordinary work, our vocation, pleasure. So he's not a total killjoy. There is pleasure. There is joy. Also, he says these harsh words because he's aiming at a target. He's aiming at evils that will destroy you and I, will destroy the church. We've spoken about those in the last weeks, about oppression, about the, the danger of money, the idolatry of wealth and possessions. And so there's a target to what he's after. And so he says, let's quit playing games and let's get serious. It's the sort of dad talk, right? When you've broken curfew, you've come home late, you sit down and you get the seriousness. This is chapter seven. and This is where we find ourselves. So what does he say? He says a lot, but we're gonna look at a couple of things. First thing he says is a good name is better than precious ointment. That's verse 1. Seems mild enough. Proverbs tells this as well, right? A good name. The world tells us it's about riches, but here, uh, he says, it's about your name, your reputation. Uh, A precious ointment is a a picture there of luxury. Only the wealthy had it. It It was found in the treasures of King Hezekiah. He had the precious ointment. So here he's saying you can pursue the wealthy treasures of the world, all that it has, but better, the way of wisdom, not the way of folly, the way of wisdom is to pursue a good name, a reputation. Under the sun... In this life, the faithful, the humble person may get overlooked. They may be dishonored in favor of he who is flashier, has glamour, who chases the glory. And yet, the way of life is found in a good name. Reminds me of that MLK famous quote. You know, he says, uh, we judge uh, not by the what? The color of our skin or the amount of money in our bank account, or the type of car we drive, but may we be judged on the content of our character. Right? That's the argument. It's about character. May we focus on character. That sounds pretty mild. The Proverbs say that a lot. That doesn't seem too heavy-hitting until you get to the second part of verse 1, which reiterates that point, except he says it a little bit different. <laughs> better as a a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Here we go. Death is better than birth. What? What is he talking about? If you know how Hebrew poetry works, the first line corresponds to the second line. So here, the, the precious ointment parallels to the day of birth, and the good name parallels to the day of death think how in the world does that work i've been asking that question all week too how does that work (laughs) it works something like this birth is like precious ointment it's it's uh maybe not the actual birthing process but afterwards this the baby on the mother's chest the the sweet ointment the the special touch it's wonderful in and of itself right it's a beautiful scene uh, but, but the baby has—it it does nothing to reveal the baby's character, right? The baby's life is in front of them. They've done nothing. It's just sweet in itself. It's precious in itself, but it tells us nothing about the character. Presumably, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler was born and, and nurtured by his mother, and there was a, a future of a good life he might live, right? It, it was inherently a good moment, but nothing had been revealed. But not so with the day of death. The day of death reveals the life that has preceded it. It offers us more of a measure of a person than the birth. S. S1 says this, it is the obituary, not the birth announcement, that best reveals the measure of a person. Endings tell us more than beginnings. And that's what verse 8 says, doesn't it? Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. It proves something of our character. So he's not trying to be morbid. Death is better than life, he's saying, but death reveals something of character, of nature. Verse 2 reiterates the same thing, but instead of thinking about our own death, here's the image in verse 2. The image in verse 2 is you go to a funeral of a really good friend. And when you observe the funeral, you're supposed to see it and you're supposed to question. You're supposed to wrestle with the nature of your own life. Have you had that experience? Have you had a close friend uh, die or someone you love die? And you go and you see the casket or you you see the weeping or you're lamenting and you're forced to deal with the reality of life, right? Our our good friend Paul just lost his sister, right? I, I can't imagine the experience, but when you see a loss of someone like that, your family, it forces you to deal with your own life, right? Your own mortality. And so in that way, it's better than birth because birth doesn't tell us about our lives. It's all in front of us. But death forces us. Listen to what it says in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. We go to the funeral of a friend, and we're forced to wrestle with our life. You go to the funeral, and um, you're to observe. You don't change at a feast. You You may get fatter from feasting. But you don't change, your character is not changed, but you go to a funeral and you realize your mortality, you realize whether I'm 15 or I'm 85, life is short. And it forces you to take an inventory of your own life. What is the basis of my life? What am I living for? What is the purpose? And the Proverbs said, when you go and you witness it, you're to lay it to heart, you're to take account. You're to contemplate the way of life. This is the goal of the preacher. Don't neglect the suffering around you. Let it take you where God is trying to take it in your life. That's what Psalms 90 says. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days. The house of mourning is better than the house of feasting because it forced us to deal with the difficulties and the realities of life. Um, Dwayne and I knew each other in college, and um, we both experienced this, as, as well as Kim and Katie. Um, our good friend, uh, Clint Harper, he was a, a strong leader, a strong Christian. He was a leader of fraternity, eternity. Uh, he was a, you know, important guy. He, he was a strong Christian. He wanted to be a missionary. Uh, he had all these aspirations, and he... Uh, I think 22, 23, died tragically at a hiking accident. He fell some hundred feet from a waterfall and, and died a fr- among friends. Tragic. And you're like, why, oh Lord, would this happen? Like, how can this be? Um, and yet, the, the amazing thing about it was at his funeral, the testimonies of of people, these frat boys coming to faith in Christ because they'd always seen his life and he had shared the gospel with them, but they didn't want to hear that. But at, at the funeral of this kid, this guy that was so good, they're now forced to deal with life and his character, which revealed goodness, revealed substance, revealed a good name, forced them to wrestle with their own life. And many came to faith, genuine faith in Christ. The wise let the morning move them to examine their lives. Will you examine your life? Does suffering cause you to examine your life? I'll give you one application, particularly to our medical community. We have a lot of you folks here. Duane just spoke about it. Um, You have a unique opportunity in your work um, for the gospel. When when you're with people... uh, Mourning is better because when you're with people that are mourning, they're open, right? Um, they're vulnerable. Uh, when, when you hear that the, the, can- the cancer's back, um, there's not a lot of jokes. Right? It, when you're at the party, you're at the birthday party, you're at the feast, it's light, it's jolly, it's fun, but when you're in that moment with a diagnosis or, or you're with them in the operating room and, and you know this is life or death, they're, they're vulnerable, they're fragile. I, I had a, a basic knee surgery last January and ever-minded of how in the moment something seemed so small how fragile I was. We have a lot of you in those places, whether it's doctors, nurses, all the other initials that there are, you are in places with people that are vulnerable, that are open physically. Now, you see it as an opportunity. The house of mourning is better. Um, it's better than the house of feasting. It's so the first thing he says. Uh, feasting uh, can't account for pain and brokenness. The good name is better. Is better. Second thing he says is... Uh, more of the same. Uh, sorrow is better than laughter. Look at verse 3 and 4. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So we're back to the whole laughter thing. You know, you feel like, gosh, does, does Solomon really have something against laughter? Like, in this, do you want to invite him to the party? You know, <laughs> I mean, he is just morbid. See he a killjoy? No. It's Coach's talk. He wants more for us. He wants us to lay it to heart. And the main way in our life that we resist laying it to heart, the serious nature of life and death, is through distraction. It's through distraction. It's through the laughter. It's through entertainment. The problem is not laughter. The problem is that when our heart sets up, In the house of mirth, mirth is an old word. It means jolly or laughter. It's sort of of this light, fluffy thing. When our hearts live there, there's no substance. There's no depth. Do do you know people like that? Are you a person like that? They're fun to be around. It's a lot of life for the party, but there's just no depth. There's no substance. There's no heart. There's no weightiness to them. Tells us that uh, they haven't been to the house of mourning. They haven't been to the place of sorrow. Verse 5 and 6 speak of the song of fools and the laughter of fools. This is imagery of that sort of, that, that, that ugly, that, that, what's the term? The laughter of folly. Drinking and laughing, and yet there's nothing. There's no depth. Humor, entertainment. Um, it's a good thing but we can't live there uh, sorrow is difficult and if you live very long you experience it and uh, the, all the streaming Netflix, you know, Hulu the, all those things are there because we don't want to deal with sorrow <laughs> it's much easier to entertain and to check out and to turn away But God's people, the way of the wise, is a play of depth, which means sorrow is the path. It's the path. He says, uh, the rebuke of the wise is better than the song of fools. The fools will flatter you. Rebuke, there's something of suffering, there's something of sorrow there, and yet it's a place of life. Notice, if we don't do this, we become like verse 6. Verse, the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. The idea is this beautiful plant, it's potted. And you go down there to pick it up and there, there are thorns have taken over inside. It's, it's infested inside out and your, your fingers are cut and you're bleeding. Laughter looks so great and then something happened and there was tragedy and you looked in and there was nothing substance and so the bleedings intensify because there's no depth, there's no character. You've never been to the place of sorrow. One commentator says this, "...some of us are laughing and singing, but we have never learned the kind of gladness in God that the sad who have laid up such things to heart have come to daily and sweetly and deeply taste." So sadness, sorrow has its place. But notice the goal in that verse verse 3 the goal sadness sadness of the place of sadness is to be glad he says for by the sadness of face the heart is made glad sadness is not the end goal he's not morbid for morbid sake sadness is as a path but it's also preparation for gladness and life for real life for real joy Have you experienced that? Have you you suffered in a way and in that moment in the deepest sorrow you found a sweetness with Jesus that you can't explain? Have you known something of that? God's people know that. It doesn't say, man, I'm so glad this happened. Right? But something in that moment about the sorrow, we know something of the heart of God that we didn't know before. But sorrow in itself is not a virtue. Um, Some of us miss the point of life by going to laughter and folly. Uh, But some of us live in sorrow uh, that's not helpful. Some of us mourn for mourning's sake. Some of us go to the house of mourning often regardless of the season. I, I found this convicting. Listen to this. One author says this, Some always go to the house of mourning and sorrow, but not because the season of pain warrants it or because depression has picked a fight with them, but because they choose lament as a way of life regardless of the season. Such a person talks often of the funeral home but never lays it to heart. That's the point of Ecclesiastes, lay it to heart. This person is always sad, but never learning what sadness in God's wise and kind hand is meant to teach us and to point us towards. This morning has an amnesia to it. We forget that we are, as the preacher says, among the living and not the dead. There's two ways. There's the way of the wise and the way of the fool. But here with sorrow, the way of the fool can go to trivial laughter, but can also go to a sorrow that doesn't lay it to heart. It's not changed. It's not brought to a new place. Sadness for for sadness sake is not the answer. That's despair. That's hopelessness. The goal is gladness of heart. There's no joy, there's no gladness like knowing the valley of the shadow of death and then being rescued to be in the deepest place. If you've only been on the mountaintop, you don't know that rescue. But when you've been in the throes of death and then you're rescued, you know a heart that's glad in a way you can't know. Two things so far. A good name is better Sorrow is better. And finally, we'll conclude, patience is better than anger. Patience is better than anger. For 7 and 8 and 9, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Two ways to live, the way of anger, quick-tempered, proud, and the way of wisdom that's patient, it's humble. This is hard for me. I, I'm a person that's dealt with anger, can be angered easily. Recently read a book or started a book, parenting with patience. You know. It's a weakness <laughs> to be patient with those little ones or big ones, right? Or one another. It's a cultural weakness, right? We want it now. We want it instant. I mean, how long do you wait for the video to upload or download before you just like oh forget it, never mind, I'll go to another right? I mean it used to be like the slow internet, we wait like a whole minute. we just like, Okay, this is gonna be really good. Now at like three seconds I'm just like fed up. Like this is ridiculous. What kind of coffee shop are you? You know? Like we're so impatient. We're so impatient. Uh, Anger is the way of the world, but the good life, the life of wisdom, is one of patience. And yes, anger, there's an appropriate anger, there's a godly anger, but few of us ever get there. It's normally the quick-tempered, it's irritated, we don't get our way. It's the way of the world. The text says, even the wise succumb to this. Verse 7, the oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The idea is that the, the wise are being patient, are being patient, but they're being pushed and pushed, and finally they fight folly with folly. Right? You know, you've seen the, 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 the social media threads, and you see your friend post something ridiculous, and you're like, I'm not going to get involved in that, I'm not going to get involved in that. And finally you just like, brr, you lash out, and you tell them all the reasons are wrong. And you're like, what an idiot, right? Folly, and you were patient, and you were wise, and then you just said, you gave in to the way of the world, and you fought folly with folly, right? Vanity, is vanity, the preacher says, you know, you've done it again. You've become quick-tempered. It's proud. It's... Uh, It's not the way. Pride and anger go hand in hand. It's the way of the fool. Uh, There's a true and tragic story from a family in St. Louis. It was from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch when we lived there, uh, I think 2012. There was an uncle and a nephew, and and they were standing outside, true story, outside by the grill. And they were were grilling pork for the family for the meal. And the, the uncle named the pork they were cooking, pork chops. And the nephew uh, replied, no, they are not. they're not. They're called pork steaks. And uh, this seemingly small and insignificant argument escalated and tempers flared and it ended up with the nephew going inside and shooting and killing his uncle. The nephew was right, actually. They were properly called uh, pork steaks, as the article says. But the article says, the mistake of the wrong name for the meat pales in comparison to the folly of the nephew's action. The article concludes, death came over a disagreement of what to call dinner. From the article, the man shot his uncle to death over pork steaks. How trivial, it sounds absurd. Uh, how how many trivial arguments do we get involved? How many had a trivial argument on the way here with your spouse, right? You had to fight. You can't even remember what it was later. But anger, frustration, it's lodged in there with pride. The passage intertwines the two that were proud in spirit. It takes trivial forms. It takes big forms. How many of you have family members you haven't spoken to in years? There's the pride of bitterness that you hold on, you won't let go, that you're resentful. There's two ways to live. It's the way of the folly, there's the way of patience. There's the way of humility. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. It's like it's stuck there. It's there. And we have to work it out with God's grace and God's people and God's word to dislodge anger and pride. Jesus would tell us everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Even when we're right, our pride is not honored by the Lord. We have to learn to release anger and dislodge the pride in our hearts. It's the way of life. Um, A couple hard things we've been asked to do, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 7 took a proverb. It it took a, a, a serious tone and says uh, we should chase after a good name not wealth and riches it says uh, we need sorrow more than we need laughter and we need patience more than we need anger challenging words but it ends with this verse 13 we'll finish here commentators think this is the piece that holds it together verse 13 says this consider the work of God who can make straight What he has made crooked. Who can straighten out what God has made crooked? Um, It's irony because the the Proverbs tells us all these things. This is the wise way to live. You want to have the good life? You want to have the life that's worth living? Do this. Live this way. Live this way at the end. There are things in life that are crooked that you cannot change. That's what he says. Do all these things, they're really hard, it's going to be really difficult, and these things you can't change. You can't do anything about them. They are what they are. Philip Ryken says this, when the preacher talks about something crooked, he is talking about some trouble we have in life, which we wish that we could change, but we cannot. It happens to all of us. We struggle with physical limitations. We suffer the breakdown of personal or family relationships. We have something we wish... We, ha- we wish we did not have, or we do not have something we wish we did. Sooner or later, there's something in life that we wish to God had a different shape to it. What is the one thing in your life that you would change if you had the power to change it? The preacher says uh, there are things you can't change. The, pre- the preacher has told us we have our lot in life. This is the path, the journey God has put us on, put you on. And that's why the words before are given. <laughs> there are things, you've experienced them, you've experienced death, you've experienced sorrow, you've experienced tragedy. You can't do anything about those. But you can pursue the good name. And you can pursue seeing sorrow is not something to go around, but it's something to go through to bring life and goodness and gladness of heart. And you can see patience, though it's frustrating, and though we're quick, uh, we're, we're quick to respond, you can see patience is the way that brings life and goodness to us. Because the crooked things, the things over here, are only things that God can make straight. And the good news is God is wise. As we think about what it means to be wise, He is wise. AND IN GOD'S PROVIDENCE WE KNOW MORE THAN THE PREACHER KNOWS ABOUT WISDOM. BECAUSE THIS TELLS US HOW TO LIVE, BUT THEN JESUS COMES AND WHAT? HE LIVES IT FOR US. HE ENTERS INTO OUR WORLD OF FOLLY, HIS GOOD NAME IS TARNISHED AS HE IS CRUCIFIED ON the CROSS AS A CRIMINAL. HE TAKES OUR SORROW AND HE NAILS IT UPON HIMSELF AND OUR SHAME choosing sorrow over laughter you see the the people laughing and mocking it's trivial right it's the house of feasting raise the cup crucify him and he chooses sorrow and suffering and he's patient and he's humble and he's gentle though the people are angry and though his righteousness is spit upon He shows us the wisdom of God in a person, in Jesus. And in him, in his life and death and resurrection, by the Spirit's power, we can in some way begin to practice what the preacher has taught us. We can live the way of the wise. This is hard stuff. (laughs) This is hard to preach. This is hard to understand. Chew on it. Think about it. Let's ask the Lord to empower us to follow his path as we look to Jesus, that we too may be wise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you.